On today's episode, we talked to Nadia Campbell and Dr. Stacey Mallory about NASPA's Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community, the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, and the possibility of a leaderless utopia. Let's start the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the NASPA Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Vee Chanu, and I'm joined today by my lovely and talented co-host, Brittany DeVees. How are you, Brittany? I am so good. It's a Friday when we're recording, which means the weekend is near after this call and after our recording. So hopefully, as you're listening to this in two weeks on a Friday as well, um, your Friday's going well. Vee, we were talking about earlier getting to the end of the fourth week of classes, which is when we're recording this, but it'll come out in a couple of weeks. But how have things been since our last chat? We're a whole month into school. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a very exciting semester. I think it's really been great to have students back in classrooms again and to figure out ways of doing that safely. My students are also very tired. I mentioned to them earlier this week that, oh, it's it's week four and you know we're almost a quarter way through the semester. And if you've got a first eight weeks course, you're halfway done. And they looked at me like, Dr. V, are you sure it's not week six? Because if you told me it was week six, I would believe you. <laughs> the beginning of this week on Monday, the high was something like 50 degrees outside. So it felt like mid-October yeah. climate-wise, as well as from an exhaustion point of view. And so mm-hmm. people very much felt like it was the middle of October. Since it has warmed up, it's it's about 85 degrees now. And I think that has also helped some people feel less like it's further into the semester than it actually is. But yeah, we are we are moving through making progress. I often think of the semester like a plane taking off and uh, we yeah. have hit cruising altitude. <laughs> like we are just rocketed rolling through the semester. Uh, mm-hmm. However, today's episode that we're uh, recording right now is very special because we are joined by two incredibly important guests. First, we have with us Nadia Campbell, who is the director of the Chidsley Programs for Leadership at Davidson College. Uh, Nadia also works with the Leadership Speaker Series at Davidson, as well as the Emerge Leadership Development Program, and somehow also manages to find the time to be one of the chairs of NASPA's Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. Welcome to the show, Nadia. Thank you for the warm welcome. Perfect. And that's right. We also are joined on today's episode by Dr. Stacey Malloret. Dr. Malloret is the director of the Lead Scholars Academy at the University of Central Florida and also find time the co-chairing responsibilities of the NASPA SLPKC, as is lovingly known. Um, so thank you so much for being a part of today's episode, Stacey. Thank you. We invited you both here today to talk a little bit about your work with the SLPKC, what it is, what you do, how interested people can get involved. But before we get into all of that, is there anything either of you wanted our audience to know about you that we didn't already mention? Sure. Um, So in addition to all the things that you (laughs) shared about my work um, in my introduction, I also work very closely with a women's leadership conference here um, at Davidson College student group who is responsible for planning and implementing that conference. So my colleagues and I advise them as they embark on that journey. It's really unique because it's one of the only student organizations that has a direct line to the development office. So they are able Mm. to fundraise and have endowments for their student organization. It's a very unique structure. And there's oftentimes where there's some murky waters that we may enter, but I'm glad that they have us as advisors to kind of guide them through that because that can be overwhelming and daunting for students. And also I am one of the advisors for the Omicron Delta Kappa, what we call the Delta Circle here at Davidson. And so I also 
co-manage that with a colleague on campus. And I'm also a certified Clifton Strengths coach. So I do facilitations Ooh. in the community. So there's just mm. all of the things. Mm. <laughs> like, what, what am I not doing? And how can I stop doing some of these things? <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I do enjoy it all. Um, for me, I have been working at UCF for 21 years. I also teach as part of my job responsibilities. I teach on a higher ed program as well. And I teach our women's leadership course, a couple other foundational advanced courses for our um, students in Lead Scholars Academy. I also work for City University of Seattle as a dissertation chair and committee member. So I do that kind of on the side as a side hustle as, <laughs> you know, as a student affairs know. Mm-hmm. And I also am an advisor for Omicron Delta Kappa and National Society of Leadership and Success, Delta Zeta Sorority, and a couple other, couple other things. Yeah, the side hustle is real. Perfect. Well, thank you both for sharing all of the incredible things. I'm like processing all the lovely things that y'all are doing and how I can get connected to all of your work um, and ask you a million more questions on those things. But to get our conversation started for what we really want to cover today, can you tell our audience what is NASPA SLPKC, what sets it apart from other knowledge communities, and what should they know um, as maybe folks are getting started or getting their toes wet in the knowledge community world? Certainly. So our KC, of course, is for student leadership programs, advisors, um, those who um, work directly with the the implementation of these programs on their campuses, whether they are an instructor, a professor, or an administrator of these programs. And so it's a unique community that comes together because honestly, you don't have to work directly with uh, these particular programs on your campus in order to be a part of the community. Because when you think about it, leadership development happens in every aspect of, of student life and student affairs. However, there are some campuses that have dedicated programs and offices to these areas. And so we uh, have a community where we talk about and share resources around how to support the work that we're doing, um, making sure that we are providing information and resources to students that help them not only understand their personal definition of leadership, but how are we also modeling that in our own leadership journeys. And I would say that we have a lot of similar characteristics as other knowledge communities. So we do a lot of partnerships with other knowledge communities too, because as Nadia mentioned, you know, leadership is interdisciplinary and can be seen across the field in student affairs. That's great. Thank you for providing us with that overview. Um, to get a little bit more personal, can you tell us a little bit more about the roles you each play in the KC? Maybe a, a bit of the backstory on how you ended up in them and, and maybe a little bit about how collaboration works between the two of you. Certainly. I'm actually going to hand it over to Stacy because I believe she's been in the KC a bit longer than I have. And I'd love for her to share her story first, if she's willing. <laughs> yeah, so I can tell you how I got involved with the KC. I actually applied for an award with the KC and got it. And then I went to the award ceremony that they told me about. And I was like, oh, this is actually kind of like a club within NASPA. Maybe I should join this club. <laughs> and so I did and uh, very quickly got a leadership role, which I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know if they're going to choose me for a leadership role. And I got one pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, I've been in a few different areas within the KC. And then I was just kind of hanging out as a chair, you know, for about five years, you know, not saying I wasn't doing much, but I was a chair. And then Nadia called me up one time or emailed me and said, can we have a conversation? I was like, "Uh oh, <laughs> if that's really good or it's really bad. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, and then Nadia said, what do you think about, you know, helping me out as a co-chair? 
And she was just so nice and so encouraging. I said, why not, Nadia? So Nadia and I have been on this journey now for maybe about three months together. Yeah, I think that sounds right. (laughs) Yeah, so my entry into the KC um, was through a position that was posted on Volunteer Central. Um, I was a couple of, well, more than a couple of years, I'll be honest, I might have been about four years into my professional journey in a new office. And I was kind of taking an assessment of what am I doing to prepare myself for what's next? And I realized I didn't have much involvement outside of just doing my day-to-day job in my office. And I said, gosh, it'd be really good to network and meet other folks who do this work and to also just figure out what else is out there. How are people, other people managing their programs? So I jumped onto Volunteer Central and I found a position in SLPKC and it was as a communications liaison. And I wasn't exactly sure what that was supposed to be. (laughs) which was intentional because the person to whom I reported said, oh yeah, this is new. This is a new position. We kind of know what we need, but you can design it however you'd like. So that's all I needed. I got the green light to just (laughs) go forth and be prosperous, which I was. Um, And after serving in that role for two terms, um, I was asked to consider managing the KC. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, okay. Uh, sure, like, let me know what that looks like. And so thankfully, there is a full year of shadowing as the co-chair elect (laughs) before stepping into the role. And so that was very helpful in helping me best understand like how to manage a KC. That's really remarkable to hear that the two of you have only been working together in this capacity for such a short period of time. Because before we started recording for today, just hearing the two of you talk to one another, I would have thought you've been working together for years. <laughs> uh, do you two have like frequent contact with one another? Are you working on like deeply nuanced, involved projects? Like for two people to, to seem to work so well together as you do in such a short period of time, you must have some kind of substantial connection with one another in the work that you're doing. Is that true? Or am I completely like off the mark with this? I mean, I definitely have a profound level of respect for Stacy and the work that she's put into the KC. Um, she served, as she said earlier, as like the chair for several committees within the KC and has a vast amount of knowledge. And so I lean on her very often <laughs> for historical knowledge, but also just how to implement the work in a way that's, you know, not... Um, daunting and overwhelming for people because we have to remember this is volunteer work Um, Mm -hmm. and while it has a a good mission of like making sure that we're all informed and that we have um, resources that can help us do our work better fashion we also want to respect everybody so I again I have that respect for her um, as well as her time Um, so I I do (laughs) meet with her twice a week (laughs) Uh, we we discuss what's coming next but also make make sure that I'm respectful in every way that I can because I'm so appreciative of her you know, we, we have Zoom calls so, and we were at the conference together several months ago and I think we have fun. So like you both mentioned, we um, are so thankful as folks who work in leadership education for the NASPA SLPKC and the work you all give to it, the work our producer Derek does to make this podcast possible through the SLPKC. So speaking of volunteering with SLPKC, I want to ask you one more question before we take a quick break. Um, but if someone were looking to get involved with student leadership programs, knowledge community, what advice would you offer them? Get involved. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, no, but truly, I mean, 
comb Volunteer Central, read the position descriptions. And even if you feel like you're not certain if you are quote unquote qualified or if you know what you're doing, just do just jump in anyway, um, because you have the freedom to kind of make the position what you need and to fit to your talent. And so if you feel that it's that's something in the description that you're like, I like that part of it, then maybe that's a little bit more of the part that you do. And we find support to gird the other pieces that could be done, or maybe they aren't as important at this time. Um, we're in an interesting space in time, just in the world, and especially within the profession of student affairs. And so I'm always thinking about, okay, how am I respectful of people's time? How am I showing gratitude for their service? And how can I make this a meaningful experience for them, knowing that they are not being compensated in a financial capacity? So if you see something that you like, and there's parts of it that you're like, eh, we can work with you. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be sensible about it. Yeah, and they if you just Google NASPA engagement, Mm-hmm. That's where you go to find out all of the open positions that we have within our KC and other KCs as well. But but look at ours first. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I can attest as someone who has had several grad students work with y'all's knowledge community. It's a great way for grad students and new professionals in the field to just get to network and connect and, and get to know other folks that are doing this good work, especially if you are maybe one of the only ones doing it on your campus, right? So that's always a great in for the knowledge communities. Yeah, that's great advice. Let's take a short break and we'll be right back with more from Nadia Campbell and Stacey Mallory. And now it's time for a segment we call Ripped from the Headlines, where we ask our guests to react to something that has happened in the news fairly recently. Stacy, Nadia, are you ready? Ready. Ready. <laughs> Love it. Okay, here we go. At the time of this recording, it's been just over a week from the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, the monarch of England for 70 years and 214 days. As the remaining members of the royal family must now rule while still in mourning, it makes us consider the role of grief in leadership. Stacey and Nadia, what role, if any, do you think learning and to manage loss and grief play in developing leadership? I'm going to defer to Stacey on this first one. I think that different people manage loss and grief in different ways. And I think it has to do with not what Nadia, I know, is a StrengthsQuest certified instructor. And I think it depends on what um, people's strengths are. For me, I go into kind of task-oriented mode. I'm like, okay, what needs to be done? Let me get busy. And kind of that is my way of dealing through things. If I am a, can achieve something and mark things off my to-do list, I feel like I ha- or am in control of something where if you have a loss in your life, there's no way that you can control that. So I kind of compensate with that, I think, through um, um, being busy and just trying to, I guess, kind of forget what's going on in a way, by by um, being task-oriented. Thank you for sharing that, uh, mm-hmm. Stacey. You know, 
it wasn't until maybe about two or three years ago at the big age of 33 that <laughs> I realized that grief and loss isn't always about loss of life. There are times where we might be processing grief or the loss of an opportunity mm-hmm. or something that we thought was promised to us. All in all, it's a loss. And while others may not understand because it may not be as significant to them as a loss of life, there's still emotions that come with that that could feel very much the same as losing someone that you love or that you care deeply about. And so in that time or in those moments, I think it's important to reflect and like actually sit in those moments and say, okay, this is what I'm feeling, name it, um, and then figure out where is it stemming from? What are what are the pieces that you feel like are tugging at your heart um, that are consuming your mind? Because our brains are wired, right, to want to fix things. And so mm-hmm. until something is addressed or fixed, our minds will fixate on it. Um, and it'll keep us from being able to be tasky or doing some mm-hmm. of those things that you mentioned, Stacey. You might say, oh, well, maybe I'll just keep myself busy. And I think that does work for a lot of people. But I know like for myself, there are times where I get stuck and my brain just won't move on from fixating on those things that I that I feel like that I have lost and that I'm currently grieving. And so I would definitely say like, get comfortable with sitting in it and then even record your thoughts if necessary in some type of healthy way. And recording can look like, of course, writing it down. It could be a verbal sharing um, of some sort. But the more you process it, honestly, the less your brain will fixate on it because you kind of, in a way, come to a resolve in your mind about, okay, this is why this is happening. This is what I could do to help further my brain to go in a different direction and actually focus on things that I need to get done. I think about something Stacy said about um, the like management of of crisis, right? Like not only are you doing processing grief and loss, but how they manage crisis. And I think what we're watching in England unfold right now is that there are a protocol, right? There is a two week protocol. So the family that may not have to worry about the logistics of grief and loss in that way, because they're all laid out day by day, hour by hour. But then when do we find the time right for that grief loss, those moments of actual leadership rather than the management of, of time, or they even down to the second, what is happening over in England right now and watching that tension of management and leadership, especially in, in times of loss is interesting to watch unfold. And I think your brain kind of takes over. So I had um, a, a close sorority sister who died about two weeks ago. And my brain, in while I'm sleeping, I am dreaming about her every night. And I think if you're too busy in your day-to-day trying to fix things, like I'm trying to um, create a remembrance for her for my sorority mm-hmm. sisters in Mississippi in a couple of weeks. And you know, I'm, I'm like doing hotel reservations and doing reservations for, you know, um, meals and all that kind of stuff. So I haven't had the time to grieve, but in my dreams, mm-hmm. I'm actually, I think that's when I'm grieving. And, you know, I didn't really think about that until this podcast. This is like a Dr. Phil. Yeah. For, uh, <laughs> but um, I think my brain is doing it while I'm sleeping. That's right. Mm-hmm. Every episode is part therapy session. So it's totally yeah, fine yeah. for that to be the case for us. And I think that, you know, Stacey, you've hit on something really important, which is we either make the time to grieve or grief makes time for us, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it will find a way through regardless of whether or not we acknowledge it. And Nadia, I think that your point is also well taken in that if 
any of us have ever had dreams of challenging circumstances, it could be because that is actually a form of grief that we haven't made the time and space for, right? Like whether it's a loss of life, but the loss of a role, the loss mm -hmm. of our sense of certain parts of ourselves. Certainly during the pandemic, many of us had plans and goals for the future that are now either more challenging or entirely unattainable. Mm -hmm. And that represents a form of grief too. We could make the argument that all leaders uh, deal with loss because you lose your sense of not being a leader. <laughs> and that is, you know, not not all grief is sad. Sometimes that's a good thing, right? Sometimes losing my identity as not a leader is empowering and impactful and gives me a new way of seeing things. But when I don't take the time or when we don't make the space or make the space in our organizations or in our teams or in our communities or in our families, for that kind of emotional expression, it's gonna come out, right? There is mm -hmm. no stopping that tide. There's only directing it in certain ways. And sometimes that's productivity and that might make sense. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's creativity and that might make sense. Um, and sometimes it's when all of our other defenses are down. It's important to name it too and name it for not just yourself, but for others because others may see your grief and not understand it, right? Yeah. Especially if you're a leader, you're responsible in some ways for helping others process and manage mm -hmm. their grief it's a collective thing that has happened and affects many people naming it and saying like this is how I'm processing but also I'm honoring the way that you will need to process mm -hmm. too and making space for that and it's not until you have the conversation mm -hmm. about how is that going to happen and that can be uncomfortable because not mm -hmm. everybody is ready mm -hmm. to talk about feelings mm -hmm. emotions yeah. grief loss um, but mm -hmm. you have to make space for it if you're going to be continuing to work with the people Nadia, that is one of those, I think we have this aha almost every episode of me of, we teach our students this every day, right? Emotional intelligent leadership. We talk mm -hmm. about, we have to be people first, right? Focus on the human. And then oftentimes in our own practice, we kind of forget all that goes out the window, right? When we're in our own spaces <laughs> yeah. and things too, because we are often in like the survival mode of it and not thinking about like, oh, I need to let myself have a moment of pause to, to feel what I need to feel and be present as a human um, before maybe I leap to action or do the leadership or the management of whatever needs to come next yeah let's let's reduce some of that do as i say not as i do <laughs> <laughs> yeah so as is true for many great historical figures uh, queen elizabeth's legacy contains both great triumphs and terrible missteps uh, you are both people who others look to for leadership how do you each contend with your own personal histories of both successes and failures well i would say that i learn a lot more from my mistakes than I do for my successes. I think that students especially only want to have successes, right? Mm -hmm. They want to make all A's, they want to get that 4.0, they want to earn that leadership position, get elected for that position. But I think when you don't get something, that's mm -hmm. when you take a step back and reflect on it. I don't think mm -hmm. you reflect as much when you get what you want. Mm -hmm. It's just like, oh, well, I expected it and you move mm -hmm. on, right? Mm -hmm. But when you don't get something mm -hmm. or you fail at something, that's when you could say, okay, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? What can I change for next time mm -hmm. so that I can actually improve? And if you always are succeeding, you're never going to, most people are not going to take the time to self-reflect. Mm -hmm. When I think about triumphs and some troubling pieces of the past, I, I remember myself as uh, in my early in my career as very prideful. 
and wanting to always hide the mm. moments where I had missteps or just kind of like push them under the rug or sweep them, whatever that phrase is, mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. really just not wanting to confront them and thinking, okay, well, let me just do something now that either one makes me feel better or B, polishes my reputation as opposed mm-hmm. to tarnishing it. And that wasn't healthy. As Stacy mentioned, like not really taking that time to reflect and just really thinking about, okay, what's next so that I can like feel better about myself in this moment. Mm -hmm. And as opposed to really thinking about what could I do differently next time? Mm -hmm. Um, Or how can I, how can I navigate the situation differently? Because it may come up again, maybe not the same exact situation, but the way that you choose to address it um, may become an option again. And so you have to think about, okay, well, what, how did I do that last time? And you know, was that helpful? There were parts that weren't. So let's let's mm-hmm. figure out what's going to be best for this new situation. When I reflect on that and, and also talking to students, helping them best understand that like they don't have to be closeted about their own mm-hmm. um, mistakes and that it's okay and it's healthy to process them in a safe space. And so helping them first identify where those safe spaces are mm-hmm. and also being okay with the fact that if it's not me, like it's okay mm-hmm. if I'm not the safe space, but just helping them <laughs> identify where that mm-hmm. is. So that way they can like get the help and resources that they need to continue to process like, okay, this is my fault or this is my mistake. This is my mishap. How do I navigate moving forward? And so that's, that's what comes to mind when kind of contending with those past failures and mm-hmm. just making sure that the work that I'm doing internally, that I share that with students too, so mm-hmm. that they understand that like, they're not the only ones going through. Thank yeah. you both for that. I definitely, to pick up on what you were just laying down, Nadia, I've definitely learned that when I don't tell stories of the mistakes that I've made, mm-hmm. students think that I was, I woke up like this, <laughs> which is a hundred percent not true, right? There are all of these battle scars from life and from relationships and from, you know, things I didn't get that I really wanted. And sometimes no was actually the right answer for me because I needed to have that you know, reflection or I needed to have that developmental conversation with somebody who cared about my progress, or it really wasn't an opportunity for, it just wasn't an opportunity for me. It was for somebody else, but I didn't mm. in my younger days have that kind of perspective. And I have found, I think what you are also describing, which is when I tell students that, yes, you can make mistakes and still be successful, they learn that they can also make mistakes and still get what they want to have mm-hmm. in life. It doesn't mean that they would make those mistakes on purpose, mm-hmm. but if we never make those mistakes, as Stacy mentioned, you never get to have that reflection. You also never get to learn who your tribe is. Mm. And fairly, I have found that the people who are part of my community are often the ones who picked me up when I fell down so that I could do a better job of picking them up when they fall down. And that's a, for me, was a huge turning point in my own career, but also in my own life and the way I make sense of what what is actually my role in the world. And I have found that the more often I talk about the mistakes that I've made, more of those people become part of my become part of my community in that way. And it's a really like unexpectedly, at least for me, rewarding thing. That is definitely rewarding. Yeah. I'm also thinking about uh, something I shared with a student a few years ago is that people 
some people will always remember you just for the mistake that you made, for mm-hmm. that one thing that you did that impacted them so much that that's the only thing that they will ever reference um, whenever thinking of you. And that can be really daunting and just like nerve wracking as well to think, oh my goodness, like I'm forever going to be the mess up in their minds. And so, <laughs> you know, apparently that person isn't a part of your tribe. And so Dr. Chunu, mm-hmm. I'm glad that you you brought that up um, because sometimes those people can be really close to you, right? Like people mm-hmm. that you can't necessarily step away from like you want to like maybe family or people who are like in your community immediate community that you can't necessarily escape and so figuring out how you navigate those relationships with those people is going to be healthy for you in the long run because because of that proximity I think about the work of um Jillian Volpe White and Kathy Guthrie and Marissa Torres who did a lot of work on it's getting students that meaning making sense of that right like we have to as student affairs professionals and leadership educators we're doing the work of saying okay you didn't get president of your student organization, you didn't do well at that event, whatever it is, but doing that meaning making so that they can learn from the missteps or the failures or whatever it may be. And rather than just going into their job interviews in the future and saying like, yeah, when's the time something didn't go well? And they don't want to say like, oh, I just didn't raise enough money for this event and it didn't happen. Right. Mm-hmm. But doing the meaning making of what did you learn from that and how can you move forward is so important. Okay. One last question before we let you off the hook, we promise. Uh, many organizations, unlike these hierarchical kingdoms we're talking about, seek to be leaderless in some kind of fashion, right? Whether that's through group decision-making or responsibility sharing, or sometimes other means. Do you think we'll ever have a post-leader society or one that is self-organizing and self-governing, or will we always need people to be driving change in our world? You know, I was watching a TV show the other night. Um, it, it was about, um, it was from Ancestry.com. I don't know if any of you have seen it where it's like, what, who are you? It's like, you're looking at your past and your history and, you know, all the generations before you. And one of the people on the show, she had family members who were on the Mayflower and they Mm -hmm. shared a story that on the Mayflower, they created the Mayflower compact. Mm -hmm. They were supposed to set sail for Jamestown, Mm -hmm. Virginia, and the ship got off course and they ended up in uh, Massachusetts where no one had lived before um, from the English side, they, of course, you know, we have our indigenous people who live there, but they didn't know when they were on the boat, what they were getting mm-hmm. to. And they decided on the boat, they created a self-governing th- because there was no rules there mm-hmm. for them to follow. Mm-hmm. They were going to go into Jamestown where there was a colony with rules. And they on the boat said, okay, we need to figure out how we're going to govern ourselves before we even disembark. Mm-hmm. So I think historically, we've had a need for structure and to see who was going to do what in order that we could find, you know, some sense of it all. So I think historically, we've always done that in one way or another. We just haven't had the clean slate like they did in the Mayflower compact. (laughs) I feel like in regards to the self-organizing, self-governing, I mean, it's possible that we could go in that direction. I I just fear all of the chaos um, <laughs> that I immediately think of when I think of those pieces, b- because, you know, we don't operate in vacuums. We don't operate in necessarily like silos. Like we're always in community with people, whether we interact with them directly or even indirectly. Mm-hmm. And so if people are self-governing, they could be doing harm to their neighbors or to mm-hmm. others in their community, even without realizing it. And so my hope is that we continue to have people who we 
I don't know if you want to say promote, elect, support as kind of the leaders and guiders of our accountability system, because if we don't have that, then I believe more harm than good could come from not having someone whose job is dedicated to just making sure that we're all kind of in alignment. Now, of course, we we have that system currently and it ain't quite working out, <laughs> out very well <laughs> as well as we hoped it would. I mean, no one's ever going to be completely happy. We're never going to be in utopia. Um, but, um, you know, I think if we left it to people's own devices, as opposed to having someone whose job or like mission or purpose is dedicated to that, then it could fall to the wayside because everything else becomes so important, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you have people, little people like children, your children become more important. Like your your garden becomes more important. Your pets become more important. Mm-hmm. And then you're forgetting about the piece that needs to be done, which is like the community of us all. And I feel like if I was responsible for that, in addition to all the things that we talked about earlier in the podcast <laughs> and I'm doing, y'all, we would be in some trouble. So yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that we have elected officials um, to, to do that for us and that we can we have systems to keep them honest as well mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. they not only are holding us accountable, but we're holding them accountable. As well. Checks and balances are important. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Nadia, you bring up a brilliant point that I hadn't thought of when B and I were brainstorming some of these questions is, you know, I think when the self-organizing and self-governing goes well, right, it moves us towards this collectivism and leadership that I think a lot of us are, you know, a lot of our models are moving us towards, right? That everyone is a leader, but may not be, need to be the leader in the space, mm-hmm. right? We don't necessarily need positions and titles because we're power sharing amongst the collective to mm-hmm. make the most true or whole or however you may phrase it, leadership process where everyone is valued and their voices matter and their their perspectives and lived experiences are very important. Mm -hmm. But when it doesn't go well, right, Mm -hmm. is when there's no one to look to, no one to hold the accountability, no one to look to and say like, hey, that thing didn't get done. And we all just look at each other, right? Um, like it's like the Spider-Man meme of everyone being like, you, you, me. Um, right. But like in in the worst way, or again, you go over there and it says, I'm looking out for myself. This is what matters to me. So therefore I'm going to do what matters to me. I don't really care about my neighbor. I don't really care about the children at the school down the street from me because I'm self-organizing and self-governing for what is important to me and my lived experiences and potentially my small immediate family. Right. So Mm -hmm. in the best way that post leader thing does feel like that utopia, but if it goes wrong, it can go wrong really quickly and Mm -hmm. really South. And it's unclear whether or not we'd be able to recover. Right. Like Mm -hmm. one of the nice things about a checks and balances system is that there's usually enough influence in that system to write when things have gone wrong. Uh, But if we ever do get to that post leader society, once things go wrong, who's going to fix it? Or will we just be right back where we started? Mm -hmm. As we wrap up our time together today, Nadia, Stacey, can you share with our audience where they might find you in the future or what they might see next from you? Certainly. So first and foremost, go and follow us on Instagram at NASPA SLPKC. Um, I believe I got that right. Derek will keep me honest if I didn't. Um, so just make sure you go and follow us. If you're not on Instagram, you can just find us on our NASPA portal. Do bear in mind that we are still in training with updating some pieces of our website and our webpage. So if you're seeing some outdated information, just stay tuned and it'll be updated. But that's a great way for you to um, know uh, what's happening with us um, in the KC. And if you go into your NASPA profile and select our KC as one of the communities in which you're a member, then you will receive um, newsletters about what's coming next, when the podcasts are being released, um, and how to get further involved with the KC. 
Yeah, and then um, you'll see when our nominations for awards go out. We have four different awards that you can either apply for yourself or nominate your peers or programs mm-hmm. for some of our awards. And it would be great to see someone that you know or yourself or your program um, awarded at the national conference. Yeah. Speaking of conferences, I'm actually going to be attending the Leadership Educators Institute in December with my colleague, Brianna Lawson. We will be co-presenting on a strategy and a framework for Clifton Strengths. So uh, check us out if you'll be there. Uh, we'd love to hang out with you and chat you up. And Nadia and I will both be in Boston for NASPA 2023. So come check us out at uh, NASPA as well. Yeah. Like, well, Nadia, I will see you in New Orleans and I'll see you both in Boston so soon, um, which is great. And just one last time for folks who may have missed it earlier on in the session um, and in the podcast, where can our audience go for more information about NASPA SLP Casey? I know Nadia, you just hit the sum of that, but anywhere else they should go um, or the name of the portal, maybe one more time if they're interested in applying. Certainly. The portal should be titled Student Leadership Programs Knowledge Community. And then again, follow us on Instagram at NASPA SOPKC. Thanks again for your time and energy today, both of you. Is there any other ways that our listeners would be able to connect with you? Certainly. You can find me on Instagram. I actually have launched a new, uh, I guess you say, profile uh, for some of my professional services, um, but would love to connect with people there about facilitation and helping teams advance their leadership. Um, That handle, (laughs) trying to get (laughs) good with my social media lingo, that handle is at the underscore n dot c dot o-u-r-a-g-e-r so it looks like the encourager hopefully that was love it (laughs) i'm not as technology efficient and superior (laughs) Nadia here for things but you can email me at malaret at ucf.edu that's the best way to reach me m-a-l-a-r-e-t and you can find all that information and more in our show notes from this episode i once again want to thank our guests for joining us today Thank you for having us. That's all for today. We'll catch you next time. The NASPA SLPKC podcast is a production of the Student Affairs Administrators and Higher Education's Student Leadership Programs Knowledge Community. As the leading voice of student affairs, NASPA drives innovation and evidence-based, student-centered practice throughout higher education, nationally and globally. The mission of the SLPKC is to serve as a resource for higher education professionals who have an interest in leadership training, education, and development. The podcast is produced by Derek Pacheco and hosted by Brittany Devies, Anna Maya, and me, Vichanu. The music featured on our episodes comes from pixabay.com. Find us on Twitter at NASPA Tweets, send email to slpchairs at gmail.com, and find links to our references from this episode in the show notes. Thank you, as always, for listening.